Jesus, thanks for this night and bringing us together. Would you uh, reveal your truth to us? Would you reveal how much you love us? Uh, would you bring us closer in our relationships with each other and ultimately in our relationship with you? We love you. In your name, amen. Tonight, we are talking about the topic of LGBTQ questions. It's an acronym that describes uh, people that identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer, or questioning. And before we jump into this topic, I want to first remind us of the overarching guidelines that we had for this whole series, that we would be respectful to one another, that we would be kind and gentle, that we would love one another, that this is a place to belong. You don't have to believe like us to belong with us. The curriculum that we have been using comes from uh, people with a variety of backgrounds, same-sex attracted and trans people included. And we hope that their voices and influence will be heard throughout this topic. We have a strong desire to love you. Whether you are questioning these topics or not, we want to love you well. We will talk about same-sex attraction, transgender, and what the Bible has to say about these things. If you are asking questions about these things, know that you are loved and that you belong here. The experiences of LGBTQ plus people in the church are often shame and guilt and isolation. A common experience is that people in the church either make jokes at or are disgusted with same-sex attracted or trans people. To be clear, it is never kind to laugh at or be disgusted with any human, regardless of who you are talking about. Now, yes, God has high standards for obedience, but he also, has, uh, but he also loves people who fall short of those standards, which I am thankful for because I am chief among us of those who fall short. We have all fallen short of the standard, but he loves us anyway. It makes me think of the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector back in the day, and a lot of people in his time were anti-tax collector. He was hated. Jesus didn't have that posture. Instead, he inserted himself into Zacchaeus' life. He enters into a relationship with Zacchaeus, and that is what leads Zacchaeus to repentance. Jesus would never have been considered anti-LGBTQ. Romans 2.4 says that it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Zacchaeus encountered the kindness of God in Jesus. He was first accepted by Jesus before he ever began following him. The same is true for those in the LGBTQ community today. If they don't experience kindness from the church, then we are not embodying the kindness of Jesus. Some of us in this room might be attracted to the same sex. Others might have friends who are. Either way, we want to bring clarity to what the Bible says around being gay and same-sex relationships. First off, being gay doesn't mean that you don't love Jesus or that Jesus doesn't love you. You can be wrestling with same-sex attraction and still love God. 
being gay or same-sex attracted doesn't mean that you are having gay sex or believe in gay marriage. Being gay simply means that you are attracted to the same sex, not the opposite. I want to make a clear distinction between a few terms tonight, between attraction, temptation, lust, and behavior. Attraction is simply experiencing attraction to someone else. You can be attracted and not sin. Being gay isn't being attracted to every same-sex person that you see. Uh, It's that generally, over the course of a lifetime, the tendency is that if I am attracted to someone, it will be of someone of the same sex. Temptation. We all experience it. It is this idea... Uh, It is a desire to do something, anything, that is against the purposes of God. Lust. Lust is this idea that you dwell in attraction. You fantasize. You linger. You, You lean into that attraction. I don't just notice another person, but I notice and I dwell. And I dwell in a way that makes them the object of my desires. Both same-sex attracted and opposite-sex attracted people can lust after others. Behavior. This is physical sexual action or behavior. But what is sin? The line is between temptation and lust. The Bible is clear. Temptation is not a sin. Jesus was tempted. 1 Corinthians talks about when we are tempted, God will show us a way out of our temptation so that we don't sin. Just to experience a pattern of attraction is not a sin. But when we let that temptation turn into lust, when that becomes the object of our desire and not God, lust and behavior is when we move into sin. When people name themselves gay, they are naming their attraction over the course of time, naming the fact that when they do experience sexual temptation, it is towards the same gender. So being gay is not a sin. The sin comes when we act on the temptation. But what does the Bible actually say about same-sex relationships? We live in a country that has recently redefined marriage to mean a union between two consenting people regardless of sex difference. But that is not how the Bible defines marriage. We start reading in Genesis, the first time that God's purposes for sex and marriage are laid out, and we see how he designed humans. Genesis 2.24 says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. The difference between them being male and female is important. In the New Testament, Jesus validates our original design as male and female, uh, as male and female counterparts by quoting actually from Genesis. In Matthew 19, 4 through 5, he says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female? And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. He reaffirms that sex is for marriage and that marriage is between two sex-different people for life. Therefore, anything out of that, outside of that ca- category 
isn't a part of what God's best is for us. Not just same-sex relationships, but sex outside of marriage. Okay, but that's talking about marriage, not same-sex relationships. The Bible does talk about same-sex relationships a few times, and when it does, they're always prohibited. Romans 1, 26 through 27 says this, Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, does this mean that God has it out for gay people? N no, by no means. In, in fact, this passage also speaks against all things that go against God's purposes. We keep reading in verse 29. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanders, God-haters, insolent, and the list goes on and on and on. God loves all people, but he hates all sin equally. The Bible doesn't single out same-sex relationships. Rather, it shows us how we all have sinned and how we all need Jesus. So if you are gay or struggling with same-sex attraction, what does this mean? It means that God loves you and that he wants to be in a relationship with you. God loves you. And it is that love that empowers us not to become straight, but to surrender to him daily. God is lovingly calling us into sexual integrity in both singleness and in marriage. The Christian sexual ethic may not always be easy to follow, but it is so worth it. Sexual integrity is saying, okay, I will submit my sexual desires to God. And that doesn't mean that our temptations will go away just because we're in a relationship with Jesus. We have to trust God. We have to trust that he is good, that he wants to give us life. We have to trust the spirit to help us through those temptations. And though those temptations are still present, they are not as powerful as they used to be. Your life can still be filled with intimacy by walking with God sharing your story, and enjoying meaningful, non-sexual relationships with friends who can walk alongside of you. God calls us into an intimate relationship with him. He calls us to love him with all our hearts, our minds, and strength. I'm going to continue the talk with the transgender piece. Growing up, there were many stereotypes that I faced and that impacted myself. One was that girls have long hair and boys have short hair. Put the picture up. Here I am in kindergarten. Every single year, my dad, at summertime, would take it upon him. Oh, you can't see it. Why is it? Okay, well, you can look back there. It's, it's real good. Okay, there I am, kindergarten. I hated it. Every single Sunday or um, summer, my dad would take me for my summer haircut. 
I love that he cared for like not having hair in my face. He'd be like, it can't be in her eyes. It's too hot. Thanks, Dad. I love you. But it always made me feel more boyish because all my friends had really long hair. Boys back then had short hair and girls did not. Later in my life, people would say things to me like, gosh, you're more like a dude. You're so blunt and assertive. In reality, I'm a strong girl. And that is how my family communicated. But they didn't know that. Growing up, there were other stereotypes. Stereotypes is, um, is defined by this general, be it's generally how people behave, especially boys and especially girls. For example, these were some other ones that I remember growing up. Boys play sports, girls play with dolls. Boys don't cry, girls do. Boys know how to throw a ball, but girls don't. Guys are angry and tough, girls are sensitive and emotional. Um, boys don't work in the kitchen or clean. Girls do all the housework and especially bake. Boys wear blue, girls wear pink. You laugh because some of them are true, you know it. Rude and crude jokes were told by boys, but girls were too shy and timid to hear them. Boys play in the dirt and roughhouse, girls stay inside. Boys are not creative. Girls are artsy and always creative and love to get their nails done. Do you notice? I still don't do my nails. Stereotypes between girls and boys have definitely shifted over the years. However, they still exist today. No matter what stereotypes exist, girls and boys, between girls and boys, they do not define what it means to be a guy or a girl. We cannot let culture define what it means to be a girl or a boy, but we need to look at the Bible of how people should live. Stereotypes are not discussed in the Bible specifically. It does not demand males are stereotypically masculine and females are stereotypically fem feminine. But the Bible does talk about David, who he literally goes, fights Goliath, and cuts off his head, which could be considered a warrior and be very masculine. And at the same time, in the same Bible, he wrote poetry, he played the harp, and he cried a lot. In Judges 4, there's this woman named Jael who takes, this is gruesome, a tent peg and puts it through another person's skull like she's a warrior. And then there are other women in the Bible who stay home with their kids. Both groups of women are still women. Even Jesus at times was seen flipping tables at one time and weeping for his friends the other. He shows us that guys can be fully man and be fully sensitive. Because being a man or woman is, not, is determined by our biological sex, not whether you match up to the stereotypes of the culture. Through this curriculum, we, there's videos, and I or Matthew cannot speak about being same-sex attracted or transgender. So we are going to use a person from the video because she is going to share her experience as a follower of Jesus and as a person who has struggled with same-sex attraction and her um, transgender. Can you start it? Her name's Kat. Can you push play? I came out as transgender when I was 27. Before that, I had, 
identified as gay, but that label never fully fit. In large part, I, I couldn't really say the word lesbian because I didn't feel like a woman. So that was a major piece that I was kind of missing, that transgender, when I was able to actually sit in what it meant to be trans, and I could kind of, it was, it was a wide term, it was an umbrella term. So I used the word transgender to describe the disconnection that I feel from my biological sex and how I feel internally. So I was born and raised in a Christian home, uh, went to church, you know, every Sunday. Um, and, but I, I just knew that I was, there was something a little different about me. When I would see a, a magazine or a poster, I would find myself identifying with the male on it, thinking when I get older, I wanna be like that guy. In middle school and especially youth group, I noticed that I really fit with both groups. I fit with boys, but to a certain point, and I fit with girls to a certain point. So with boys, it kind of stopped when talking about girls and attraction and things like that. And then with the girls, it stopped with boys and, and things like that, but also like bathing suit, bathing suit shopping. That wasn't, I wasn't the person you were bringing um, for that experience. And so being a middle schooler, I just, you know, chalked it up to me being a tomboy and, and, and uh, that was about it and just kind of continued on. But with the evangelical purity movement in full effect uh, when I was in middle school, um, we were talking about femininity, how to be a feminine woman of God and what God wanted from us as women. So what we really didn't unpack was that the world's definition of femininity and what God's definition of femininity might be different. Instead, I just kind of piled on my, the, the world's construct of what femininity was, and I just applied God on top of it, instead of separating them out. So I came to the conclusion, because of, by the world standard, as I'm sitting there in my basketball shorts with not my knees like properly closed together, that God was displeased with me, that I was dishonoring him because I wasn't this feminine being. So when I turned 18 uh, and went off to college, I left my faith at home and I just decided to kind of figure out life for myself. I came out as, as gay and, and dated women trying to, to find my purpose, to really feel like I, I, you know, I, I knew who I was. And I, and I found that a lot in relationships where I could feel seen and, and desired and, and loved. Before we go any further, let's understand you, some key terms it? used. Like he said, before we go any further, we're going to understand key terms so that we can fully understand the conversation of what Kat's telling us. For many years, sex and gender were used to be to describe the same thing. They were used interchangeably, but they are different. So we're going to have terms, and the terms will also be on your questions so you don't have to like memorize them to have a conversation. Sex refer refers to one's biology, so the parts that you were given. Gender has to do with one's internal sense of self, which is called your gender identity. Gender also is used to describe how someone expresses themselves through their hair, their dress, manners, hobbies, interests. This is called gender expression. Transgender is an identity some people use to, to describe their experience because they have this incongruence between their body, their biological sex, and how they identify with their gender or gender expression. 
Some of the people who say transgender actually have a psychological condition called gender dysphoria. They call it gender dysphoria because there's distress or incongruency between how their body feels and what their mind says they are. Basically, you may be female, but inside your brain doesn't tell you you're female. Can we go back to the video, 956? Hearing from Kat. There you go. Logical sex, not our internal sense of self, or whether we act in a particular masculine or feminine way. But some people would go on to say that if a person's body doesn't align with their internal sense of self, then they should surgically align their body. is really elusive um, sometimes like to the point where you doubt that you even have it um, some of the time because it's it's always been there to the point of like even where you look in the mirror and you just are almost shocked to see that you have a chest or you look down and there's nothing there and that can be really difficult to understand because again you know the right answer you were brought up in a world that um, no I'm a woman and I'm female that answer comes very naturally but then to be shocked when you look in the mirror can be jarring and very confusing um, again like I talked about a little bit with uh, with clothing for me for me clothing is is a huge way that I can alleviate that dysphoria and Honestly, it's, it's a journey with God of, of what I wear. Like, I, with feeling sometimes so masculine that I don't recognize myself. And so there is a, a happy medium, I think, for how do I, as a creation of God, express myself. Honoring to God and honoring to myself. Side note, I appreciate Kat because I feel like she's honest and brave about sharing her experiences as a trans transgender person and a believer of Jesus. So what does the Bible say about the topic? The Bible, the Bible says bodies are good. God created us male and female. He created biological sex, and that is how we bear God's image. We are embodied humans. And I'm, you're probably like, what does that mean? It means that we have spirits, and we're given this physical body, or form to be in. In Genesis 1:27 it says, "So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them." The Bible agrees with science that humans are sexually dimorphic. And you're like, "What?" Sexually dimorphic means that humans exist in two different biolo biological sexes. We reproduce sexually, and male and female are those terms used to describe these two different sexes. Your bodies are not just this insignificant shell that covers the real you. Your male and female bodies are a significant part of who you are, even if you don't like your body or you don't resonate with your biological sex. A lot of people in culture today don't, are confused by what it means to be a man or a woman. But it's important to know that your feelings or interests don't determine if you are male or female. 
Being a man or woman is based on your biological sex, not your internal sense of self, whether we act in a particular masculine or feminine way. Some people say that if a person's body does not align and you feel that incongruence, that they should align their body with surgery or taking um, cross-sex hormones. And I'm going to mess up this word because I messed it up every single time I practiced. Endocrinologists, who are the people, like if you want to take hormones to change your body, they, you would see them. And they say that they, if you take higher levels of homo, hormones, there is a higher risk of heart attack, cardiovascular death, five times the risk of blood clots, two times the risk of stroke, your, cance, your chances of cancer rise significantly, you have liver dysfunction. The side effects are not only physical, but mental. You have higher levels of aggression, mood disturbances, depression, and even psychosis. These risks happen because our bodies are not designed to take in these high levels of hormones. Some of you in this room may be struggling with your gender identity right now, or you know people who are. If you're struggling with your gender, I want you to hear that God loves you and values you. He is well aware of your struggle. You do not need to conform to people's stereotypes of what it means to be a girl or boy. If you're in the other group and you are a friend or have a friend who considers themselves to be trans, be a good listener. Learn from their story like we learn from cats. Ask about their experiences. Ask them how to be a good friend to them. Trans experiences are very different from one another. And what I mean by that is there's a psychologist that says, his quote, if you have met one trans person, You've met one trans person. No matter what label we use to describe ourselves, our ultimate goal is to make sure we have our identity in Jesus. Ultimately, we're sons and daughters of, heaven, of the Heavenly Father. So how can we, us in this room, show compassion, love, and curiosity to all people, especially the LGBTQ community? Trans friends need a friend more than they need a lecture. They need to see love, compassion, peace, forgiveness from Jesus shine through us to them. Through this series, this is the last week, we hope that we've started conversations about what it looks like to have sexual integrity. Sexual integrity is about having a holistic view of sex and an understanding of the beauty and complexity of what it means to be a sexual being so that we can say yes to a life um, of flourishing as sexual beings because that's how God created us to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. Um, Lord, these are hard topics and they pull on our hearts and our minds. And so, Lord, I just pray for us to settle into your truth and love, that your love, no matter what, is surrounding us, that your love fills us, that our conversations going forward are filled with love because each person needs you and each person in this room, no matter where they're coming from or what their beliefs are, Lord, they need a community. And so, Lord, I hope and pray that we can have open and honest conversations this evening that encompass your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.